and welcome to episode 190 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined once again by Ryan Topp and Paul Noonan, just a day later than normal because of the holiday weekend. Uh, how did the long weekend treat you guys? A lot of driving, but that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Nice and relaxing. Saw some family. We went down to the lake today, um, just one of the public Minneapolis lakes, and it was lovely, so... Good times. Are there private the lakes t- in Minneapolis? <laughs> I have no idea. But when I, th- I feel like when you say went to the lake, it sort of implies you went to like a family cottage or a friend's like lake house somewhere. And that's not what we did because we're not that cool. So. <laughs> I, I follow. I just didn't know if in, up in Minnesota they had special rules about that. Like they had their private lakes where they didn't let the the regulars, the commoners come in. <laughs> I'm not sure if they do or not, but. Um, I I have become I'm in favor now of having downtown lakes. Uh, I think it's a really really good idea. It brings in um, those those snobby suburbanites who are afraid of the city more. Like it it really draws them in when when they would normally stay out. And um, I, I kind of like that about it. So um, I'm I'm pro urban lake. There should be more of them. But really, do we want those people in our cities? Uh, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> We want we want strong cities that serve all people. So yes, we do. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'm just trying to figure out if the private lakes are included in the ten thousand or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lie. It's a dirty, dirty <laughs> lie. <laughs> all right. I uh, hope everybody had a good uh, weekend. Uh, before we get going, a reminder that you can help support our podcast network. At- by becoming a patron that's at patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the podcast five bucks a month gets you the minor league extra podcast with ryan and james anderson also get those reporting as eligible packers mini pods from paul throughout the packers off season as well uh so i guess turning to the brewers they had a good weekend too uh they've won five in a row now after another walk-off win on uh the hell day is it monday we're doing this on monday <laughs> I have no concept of time, uh, but winners of five in a row. I guess the old say, you know, the old saying, the uh, you know, whole don't pay attention to the standings until Memorial Day. So here we are. We're going to look at the standings. They're twenty nine and twenty five now. Uh, they'll be no worse than two games out of first place in the Central, heading into the month of June. And I think we actually pulled up the playoff odds on prospectus before we started this. Obviously, I think not factoring in today, but. Coming into today, they had the Brewers at a 69% chance of making the playoffs, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Super nice. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I guess let's focus first today on on the first Tigers game. Another extra innings win. They're now 6-3 and three with that stupid extra inning rule, so I guess something's working for them. <laughs> I don't know if it's luck or strategy, uh, but I know I wanted to bring this up first because I know Paul and I kind of feel... Uh, similarly on this and you know the last few uh, extra innings games has kind of become a topic of debate of uh, when do you use Josh Hader in those situations so uh, you know Craig I think, I think we is, differ with Ryan on this too so uh, mm-hmm. we do and need, and Ryan thinks he's found some fuzzy math to back up his case so this mm-hmm. should be fun <laughs> um, but basically uh, the the usual course of events, at least when the Brewers are, are at home, it seems to have been using Josh Hader in the ninth inning and then some random bum in the 10th. That's that's being harsh, but I, I just don't like using Brent Suter <laughs> when any contact at all can uh, basically end the game for you, possibly. Pitch, pitchers of record in their extra inning games are Brad Boxberger, um, Angel Perdomo, uh, Hader at least once, J.P. Fireisen, uh, Hader again, so it's not like he never does it, Suter, Suter, Hater again. He's pitched plenty in extra innings, actually. And uh, and who who got who was today? Was it? Suter? It was uh, Boxberger and then Boxberger again today. Again. That's right. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. There you so, go. So yeah, kind of become a, a topic of I don't want to say contention. Just like for me, it's more just general game theory and strategizing, right? Like to me, I want with that stupid ghost runner on second, I want somebody who can strike everybody out, and. I, I can understand the argument of not saving Josh Hader for the 10th, but my thing is just let him throw two innings. And I, I'm I'm over the babying of the one inning thing, and I know it's 
not realistic, but this is the internet and I don't have to be realistic if I don't want well, to. I haven't heard Ryan's argument yet, so I actually don't understand the argument against it, but uh, maybe I will in a second. But it makes all kinds of sense to use him in the 10th when there's a runner on base because it's much higher leverage and uh, he is good at stranding runners because he strikes out so many people. Aside from that, it is also much more likely the Brewers score with a runner on base than when they don't have a runner on base because their offense is kind of crappy. So uh, it really sets you up for victory using him in the 10th, whereas if you give up runs, you kind of lose that advantage. So I think it makes all kinds of sense. Also, there's no reason to pitch him in the ninth. It's not even there's not even a bad reason. It's not a safe situation when you're tied. It, like m- most old school managers would save him till they got a lead. Uh, I guess when you're at home, it's different. But um, like there's no reason not to be more strategically smart with him. It, it, he's like the ninth inning guy. It's weird. I, I don't get it. So, okay. What's your, what's your BS math, Ryan? <laughs> okay. Well, before we get to the actual BS math of it, there are some other factors here. So first off, the number one thing, and this is what JR brought up on the, the JS podcast. And this is my biggest argument is you have to get to the 10th. Like, first, before you do anything else, you have to get to the 10th. This was the whole argument why people would always say, well, don't save your closer until the ninth inning because it might not be the highest leverage situation in the game. Well, you sure. you have to get to that point before you can actually use it. And there there is something that happens, and I I was looking this up, where the leverage does increase as you go and there is something sort of unique about the ninth and then from then on where because the home team has essentially when they have last ups once you get that last out of the top of the ninth uh the the shift is it's like it's like a two and a half percent advantage basically over what it was before so say the eighth inning where you have a higher chance of winning at that point because of well, it's because you're running on outs, so you're not like uh, at that point get, getting any run in any way wins. So yeah, it, that's true. You do have that, but you also have a two to one advantage in terms of you have six outs at that point, and the other team has three. So once you get that third out of the the top of the ninth, you now have six outs as the home team, and the other team has three. And you don't even necessarily need all six outs because if you get that run in the in a tie game situation, if you get that run in the top of the ninth or bottom of the ninth, you win the game, right? So the game ends at that point. But you have six outs now to play with at that point versus the other team only having three. And you have the additional advantage at that point of them uh, of the game ending as soon as you potentially score any run, at least in the first three outs. So it. There is an advantage there. I think the the biggest factor, though, the biggest thing is you do still have to get to that point. And I mean, I, it's not like a cardinal sin. I think if you save Hater, if you're if you have it set up, like if you have a game where perhaps Brandon Woodruff goes eight strong, and you have a healthy, productive, good Devin Williams in the ninth to throw, yeah, by right. all means, go ahead and do it. So I got I have a problem with your math. And to relate this to football, an argument that we frequently have is the, the is it smart at the end of a game if you score a touchdown and you're down by one to kick the extra point to force overtime or to go for two and win the game? And the old school thing has always been, well, okay, you can get it to overtime and then you, you could just have more time to play the game when in reality it is often smart to go for two just because the odds favor it. Now... You could turn that around here and say, okay, he's hater in the ninth, and then if you score, you win. Yeah, but um, it, it's easier for another pitcher to get through the ninth often as well. That, that's the other thing here. Like, you don't have a guy in base to contend with, and the difference between hater and somebody else with bases empty starting off the inning is different than if you do have to go to the tenth. And it like hater versus suitor in that situation. Hater's way better because he's going to strike out a lot more people. Not, there's probably more contact guys in the in the bullpen that would be a better example. Suter does strike out a fair amount, but also doesn't throw hard, gives up contact. So, uh, yeah, Hater's good in that situation. Like he's good in all situations, but he's not so much better than he is with the guy on base. Like that situation is, he's much, 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 much better than anybody else in the bullpen is going to be. Right, but ideally, you don't even see the tenth. Ideally, that, that run mean, ideally never comes across. Do, but, I mean, 
you you also may win the game with not Hader pitching the ninth inning. It's not like it's Hader pitches and maybe you win in the ninth by scoring a run versus another guy pitches and maybe you don't. And it, like it doesn't have any impact on that. There's there's a very good chance that Brad Boxberger pitches a scoreless ninth inning just fine. Um, he's he's been quite good and with nobody, especially if you got like the crap of the order. And that happened the other day where where Hader ended up working against garbage and then better pitcher or worse pitcher ended up against a good part of the order. So. Um, they don't. They don't seem to be paying attention to that either. They. I think they are to a degree. There's a lot of moving pieces in any Craig Council situation. Today was particularly on Monday was particularly messed up where we didn't even know when Kane came out and they were doing a double switch with Shaw <laughs> yeah, already. And you were like, yeah. okay, we don't even know who's playing where. And like, it took a while for us to like figure all that out. Uh, there were a lot of moving parts in that, and so it's hard to, to sometimes figure that out. But what we did then see, and my brother pointed this out to me when we were sitting in the stands, was, yeah, Hater's not going to come back because we were we were going back and forth about, well, can Hater go two here as opposed to one? Well, Hater was actually due up second in the inning. Sure. So there wasn't any way they were going to let Hater hit, right? No, no, there weren't. So, <laughs> but they, they obviously could have worked around that. They could have done some other things to switch that around, depending on what else they wanted to do defensively. And I don't know what the the options were at that point. But they would have had to have double switched somebody else again after already having done some of that. So it's tricky. I think that there's probably a better case for it for using Hater, like saving Hater, say for the tenth, when you are on the road. Sure. And yeah, not using him in the ninth, maybe using him in the ninth, there is a waste on the road as opposed to at home. I think you you do throw your best reliever that you have available to potentially get to the bottom of the ninth and be able to win the game in a walk off and, and not give up runs at that point. I, I don't see an issue. The part of the issue that we're going through right now is we don't have the reliever depth that we've become accustomed to because right. of the trades that were made where they got rid of some guys and just because of the way attrition has worked this year and they're just not in the best situation right now for this in an ideal world if you had more good relievers you wouldn't worry so much about this if you were able to bring a healthy Devin Williams in for the 10th behind right. hater is anybody really complaining there? It, that's not such a big issue. The issue mostly here is that the bullpen is shallower than we would like, and they have time to address that, obviously. There's lots of things they can do between now and then, developing up their own guys, finding guys on the scrap heap, making a trade for a legit stud, making a trade for a guy they think they can turn into a legit stud. There's lots of things they can do to d lengthen their bullpen, but at this particular moment, it's a bit short. True. Yeah. I also think the odds of them going to extra innings are higher than they normally would be because they're so not good at scoring runs. <laughs> so right. there's that too. Like in, in 2019, they played 15 extra inning games all year and they've already played nine. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So yeah, you might not go to the extras, but I think there's a good chance you're going to extras when you enter the ninth tide with this team. So uh, you should plan for that. You shouldn't plan for the hope we get a walk-off because it hasn't been happening. Well, I mean, they've been getting the walk-offs. They've just been coming with the base. guy on base. <laughs> with the right. free guy. With the free yes. guy no. on base. They're much more likely to score with the free guy on base. That's why you use Hater against the other guy's free, free guy on base. It's a good situation for them if they do that. Yeah, I mean, if you have one of your best relievers to be able to use in the ninth and the tenth, that would be the ideal. But they just are a bit thin on that right now, which is because we don't know quite what's going on with Devin Williams. So, yeah, that's not fingers crossed at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not great news. <laughs> I guess speaking of extra innings, I didn't put this on the rundown, but the Brewers have now bunted, I believe, two times in a row in the 10th inning, and they've won twice. So that's giving fuel to portions of Brewers Twitter. How do you feel about that? Has it, has it mattered? Hasn't mattered either time, but okay. Right. They've won twice <laughs> right. on balls that went to the outfield wall. doubles or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't really mean <laughs> much of anything. I heard people today going, oh, but the the fielders would have been playing further back and like right. going, okay. It's, so I, I don't have a huge problem having, having Keston bunt because he can't hit. 
And I guess I'd rather have him do something minor, you know, positive than strike out. So, okay, I get that. He's hitting so badly, it's basically a pitcher, and that's defensible. But again, it hasn't mattered. They've gotten hits to drive the guy in that would have definitely driven people in from second. So the bunting has just been aesthetic for people who like bunting. Now, there was much more applause. I wasn't at the game on Thursday, but people got really excited about it, and it annoyed me. Uh, (laughs) Like, I heard a standing ovation through the radio. It was it was annoying. <laughs> Today, I don't feel like I heard the same sort of reaction. Like people respectfully clapped, but it wasn't like <laughs> this great, you know, outpouring of, oh, thank God he finally bunted. Honestly, it, it really does come down to most yeah. people just think that like runs count more when you give up and out to get them. And it just because Sacrifice, that's how man. that's how that's how it works in high school baseball man and like you know yeah. babe ruth and legion ball and that's so we got to apply all those numbers and all that logic to you know major league baseball where the players are the very best in the world get them on get them over on get in. yeah yeah who cares if better strike out 30 percent of the time right now that's just how you play the game right right and it easily could have gone the other way because yep. the Tigers also bunted over and then they had two guys strike out looking because Indeed. that's a thing that happens frequently. So do we, have, do we have an official podcast opinion on the new extra inning rule? Do we like it or hate it? I forget. Eh. We're, we're mad. <laughs> what's, what's the party line? What, what are yeah, we supposed to say I, here? I don't love it. <laughs> But I've I've come to just be like I, I can look at it the way Craig Council does. Did you hear what he said about it uh, over the weekend? No, yeah. is it it saves our bullpen a lot. So right, bring he it said, on. if you were talking to me in the winter when we're talking about what the the ideal state of the game is, uh, I would tell you no, I don't want to have this. If you're talking to me right now as a manager who has to put people on the field, yeah, I'd much rather you know yeah. play the seven in, inning game. I'd rather have the the runner start on second in extra innings. Like in 2019 when we had our last full season, they averaged 12 innings per game which is not great and they had six games go over 12 innings and they had a, like a 15 and an 18 inning game and that just destroys you for many games thereafter so i, yeah. I think it has helped them immensely this year they have not gone past 11 this year um and i think that's only up twice or uh, past 10 uh, and i think they have two 11 inning games so i think it's helped them quite a bit and i think that the double headers helped them a bit too because they really right. saved saved their pitching on the seven-inning doubleheader, too. I think it's been uh, very important for their bullpen conservation, um, just making good use of the rules this year. Right, especially mm-hmm. when you can uh, lock into one of the doubleheader games being, you know, Woodruff, Burns, or Peralta, right? Yep. You can kind of be sure that you're getting seven innings or close to it, at least. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, the runner rule, yeah. Oddly, I think I, I kind of maybe feel the same way about Council. I feel like... if. If or when we were talking about this in the winter, we're all like, this is dumb. This is I hate this. But now I do, definitely don't mind it because it's like, OK, cool. We're done. We don't have to sit here for five hours trying to watch. We don't this have team to watch it again. Angel Perdomo pitch four innings and, you know, load the bases every time and barely get out of it, which would be totally what would be happening. Right. And frankly, the Brewers could use the help getting runners in scoring position this year. So I will take the free yeah, help. And it shut really up helps their it. offense a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess going back out to the the bigger picture as a whole, you know, we talked we're basically two months down now and kind of as expected, the division race is looking pretty competitive, uh, even though every team has some major warts still. Uh, granted, the Cubs had a really hot uh, May. Cardinals are still up there, but like we all kind of expected that top three is kind of bunched within two games. Right. So um, I guess, Paul, is this about where you expected things to be through the first two months of the year? Uh, except the Cubs have been a little better than I thought. Yeah, that's pretty much on. Like the Cardinals are annoyingly good for uh, not no good reason. They've played they've played well, but uh, you know they're there as they always are. And Chicago's been a little bit better. Their pitching's actually been a little bit better than I anticipated. So I think that they're actually real threats and not just fake threats that will go away at some point. But uh, this is more or less what I expected. I wish the Brewer offense was a little better. It's played better lately, I guess. But yeah, this is dead on. I, I think it'll be a three team race for the. Pretty much the entire season going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think it is a three-team race, and I wouldn't really want to bet heavily on any one of the three. <laughs> no, same. They're all yeah. they're all ugly in certain ways. So, mm-hmm. I mean, right. when when Yandy steroids run, roll off, what like how's that going to work for them? 
going to go bad. <laughs> for, just for, for legal reasons, casual, casual steroid accusation yeah, sorry, there. Sorry yeah. for stealing your bit, Matt. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no, for legal reasons, <laughs> that's a joke. Yachty's not on steroids, <laughs> probably. Maybe. It's HGH. Yeah, no. Uh, for legal reasons, again, that is a joke. Yes. Uh, no defamation of character was intended no. in the faking of this podcast. Correct. Okay. Nothing sticks to that guy, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except baseball. I don't even know why I put together a rundown sometimes because I lose <laughs> my train of thought and I have to try to like careen it back on the tracks. But uh, so Brandon Woodruff mentioned him. He's been amazing. He outdueled Max Scherzer on Sunday. That was fun to watch. Um, but basically, uh, he, he, I mean, he's the reason they, they swept him. He even got to hit and go up for another inning, even though his pitch count was was really high, kind of showing what Craig Council thinks of him there. But I guess, again, through two months, Ryan, is he a legitimate Cy Young contender now with the numbers that he's putting up? He's the favorite right now. I don't think there's really much question about that. Yeah. With Burns having fallen off a bit and Jacob deGrom being hurt, I mean, there's other guys. Joe Musgrove is having a very good season, but I think he's the favorite right now. I'm laughing because of Corbin Burns having fallen off a bit, which is true. Um, but but that <laughs> still, makes him, today. <laughs> still makes him yeah. super awesome. So, um, I mean, it, Woodard has a 1.27 ERA and Burns has a 2.33. So, I mean, w- w- and and Burns has the, the best FIP on the team. Um, that, um, uh, uh, just barely, yes. So, and I they mean, both Woodruff have whips is, under 0.7. Yeah, which is insane. For a starter, so, is just like yeah, cuckoo bananas. So yes, they're, they're, uh, Woodruff is definitely the the favorite right now. I agree with Ryan on that. It, just his his numbers, everybody knows, are going to you know put him on everybody's board. That ERA is just um, incredible. He's been a workhorse too, which actually helps quite a bit in these kinds of things. So yeah, he I mean he's he's absolutely amazing. But I do think he'll he may suffer from some brewer vote splitting when it's all said and done. Um, and you know, there's, there's some solo projects out there that might steal things, but Woodruff's been incredible. He's been, um, I actually didn't expect him to be kind of the true ace of the staff. I thought he'd be like a good number two workhorse kind of his whole career, including this year. And he's just been dominating the hell out of everything. So, um, good on him for it, but this pitching staff's amazing. They're, they're phenomenal. Yeah. I pointed out over the weekend that if you look at it from 2014 to 2016, the Brewers turned a fourth round pick, an 11th round pick, and Adam Lind into the top probably one, two, three rotation in baseball or among the best in baseball yeah. and probably mm-hmm. the best in franchise history. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, oh, I think almost without, I mean, Freddie Peralta's season would probably be getting some down valet Cy Young votes if it weren't with these two on the team. His whips <laughs> right. on, his whips under one, his ERA is just barely worse than Corbin Burns is. Um, so, I mean, he's been, he, he's been Freddie a lot of the time, which is why he doesn't get as much attention. He has those first inning weirdness once in a while, but he's also been almost as good as those two. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the weird, not the weird thing, but the crazy thing that's kind of led to the, the leap this year, so to speak, is, you know, none of these guys are walking anybody, <laughs> you know, wonder if that was always the thing with him, right? Like electric stuff, but kind of mildly inefficient would struggle to get through five or six every now and then same thing with Freddie. He'd tend to blow up with a five walk outing, <laughs> but you haven't really seen that this year. And, yep. uh, it's just really incredible to see. Um, well, I think it speaks to the idea that it does take time for pitchers to develop. I think of the modern game, just because there's so many different things you have to worry about as a pitcher, where you're trying to figure out where your stuff fits, how it, how your stuff works, where you can put it, and then you need to figure out how to last and how to pace yourself through a game. You need to just sort of develop up the physical stamina. All those things take time and they take reps. And so it's a little bit different, I think, than, say, hitters who can come up and the the best young hitters can come up and be pretty much dominant right from the get go. And I think a lot of that is because guys can come up, they're more developed than they used to be as hitters in the minor leagues and in even in, say, high school ball or travel ball and then in in college 
And I think that the the big advantage that they have that younger hitters have is they still have the the really quick reaction times and the the really quick like their body they're still young so they're able to do some of those things they have the quick twitch that maybe slows down as you get a little bit older whereas that's less important for pitchers pitchers it's more of a craft that you have to develop and and work on over time so. I, I think that's why we're seeing sort of a switch of the way things used to be, which was used to take hitters time to kind of settle in, whereas pitchers could come up and be pretty good right away, you know, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's whatever the cause. It's just amazing to watch right now. And now we're you know going through every night just hoping they score enough. Uh you know, like today, I, I was just thrilled that Corbin Burns got a freaking two-run homer to <laughs> leave with the win, and then suddenly, you know, that evaporated quickly. The Brewers l- legitimately, this was just the third game they've won with Corbin Burns starting, where it's literally, and it was literally the first outing he had where he gave up a run, and they still won. So, I mean, that's how bad his run support has been. <laughs> like, pure Jacob deGrom level. The only two other wins before today were shutouts that he threw. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just insane. Uh, I guess the crazy thing, though, is like despite how bad the offense has been, they've actually kind of been taking it to the good teams. So, you know, since we talked last, they split four games with the Padres. So that means they're eight and three now against the Padres and Dodgers combined under 500 against everyone else then, of course. But, um, you know, they're they're in a good spot, like we talked about heading into June. And now they've got a significant stretch here of what should be easier games. Uh, but I can't really blame anybody for like hesitating with that. Our first Patreon question actually comes from Michael Hank saying, why am I nervous about a week against the Tigers and the Diamondbacks? So, Paul, are you nervous? A little or do bit. you think they can uh, kind of make some hay here in June and, so, and pull ahead? They should. Those teams are bad. And when you see these very small trends of oh, playing up to competition and down to competition, It's usually just baseball nonsense. It doesn't usually mean anything. And over the long haul, they should beat up on garbage. So that's probably what will happen. But, I mean, you really never know. There's psychology to baseball, too. And I know the Brewers probably do get excited about playing the playoff teams. And you can get a little complacent against the garbage sometimes. And hopefully that's not what happens here. But uh, I'm just going to go with my rational brain here. I'm not worried. They, They should be able to you know take two-thirds of the games against this trash and get back into the race a little bit close i mean it's only 1.5 games but you know uh, close that gap a little bit and i think they'll be fine uh, it, over the long haul you beat up on the junk you, you don't have that play up play down thing happen it's just something we notice because it sticks out so i actually want to tie this to the next question so go ahead with uh, that right. yeah yeah, so we did kind of have a related Twitter question, too. comes from uh, JW, Jamie Wonders, <laughs> asking, the Brewers won't play a team currently above 500 until June 28th against the Cubs. Uh, with that in mind, what will be the Brewers' record in June? So, Ryan, do you have a, a number in mind here? Uh, I have 2019 in mind, yeah. Uh, this exact thing happened in 2019. We uh, We went through two very rough months because 2019 was a lot like 2021 where the nl is very balanced there aren't a lot of terrible teams in the nl there's just a few and they're kind of spread around and going into june we all said oh this is when the schedule softens up because if you look at i'm looking at their schedule back then right there uh we had a series against pittsburgh miami pittsburgh again houston for two Oh, but then uh, four against the Giants, the Padres, who were you know kind of good, but whatever. Cincinnati, meh, not whatever. Seattle, Pittsburgh. So thought that was going to go great. And they ended up coming out of that month uh, further. Uh, yes, they were 45 and 39 coming out of it, and they went into it 33 and 26. So they basically played it 500 for the month. And this is baseball. This this stuff just happens. So that's what I would point to. I'd, I'd say just because the schedule softens doesn't mean that the team is automatically going to go on a run. Weird things happen. Maybe like what happened with a lot of those teams is I think though a lot of those teams had played a little bit below their level coming into that month. And then they played better. Like we caught the Giants for a couple series there and they played their best ball of the season in mm-hmm. in that time period in 2019 so you just don't know when you're going to catch teams and how that's all going to line up so I, I mean not to be a total wet blanket because i do 
I, I think there's an opportunity here. I think they can potentially rip off some wins. Yeah. But it's baseball and stupid shit happens. So at the risk of looking stupid a month from now and, you know, uh, random <laughs> stuff happens. I, if they play 500, I wouldn't be that surprised. But it's worth noting that there's a bunch of games that they have against Colorado and Arizona. And those aren't just running. This isn't like playing Cincinnati a bunch. You know, Cincinnati's bad, but they're not like <laughs> atrocious. Yeah. Um, Colorado and Arizona are atrocious. Uh, Colorado, you know, we've talked about quite a bit because their front office is atrocious. In addition to their team being atrocious, their their <laughs> their run differential is negative forty three. Arizona's is somehow worse at negative forty nine. Um, those teams are awful, and if they if they don't lose a bunch of series to the Brewers, that will be just very bad luck. I, I think they make a ton of hay just on those like two stretches of two series each. And the rest, if they go 500, that'll still be a really impressive month. And I think that's what happens. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, those teams are going to have good stretches. They're going to have yeah. a run of a few weeks where they're going to play decent ball and probably put up, well, definitely put up a winning record for a few weeks and run at some point. Probably against worse teams, but not necessarily. Things just happen. So I I hope they will. I hope it can. But I, I learned my lesson from 2019, so I'm not going <laughs> to fall into this trap again. Yeah, baseball is weird. But, you know, the, the way the schedule stacked, too, there's also, you know, a ton of home games, too, in that stretch. Really just uh, starting next week in Cincinnati. And then there's that six game or you got asked, ah, sorry, it's seven games. It's four games in Colorado, three in Arizona yep. uh, towards the middle, later part of the month, too, which uh, I understand those teams are, are pitiful and, and horrible and every other adjective you can use that's negative. <laughs> but also those are two places where the Brewers have uh, historically stumbled and, and played poorly. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, I'll never take Coors Field for granted, but... Uh, especially, you know, with this Brewers crappy offense somehow being unable <laughs> to score three runs in Coors Field seems likely. But uh, we'll see. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it's been a nice little stretch here without having to face the Cubs. So, you know, we saw them three times in April. I think everybody got sick of each other by that point. It was amazing. They didn't have a benches clearing brawl with all the crap that Wilson Contreras uh, threw out there. And... Uh, Javi Baez continues to be annoying. And I know, Paul, you wanted to talk about <laughs> the uh, super magical Javi Baez play where he scored two runs on a ground out or, or something like that. And uh, we wanted to take the opportunity because we can never pass up an opportunity to shit on the Cubs. So, Paul, go ahead. Sure. So, for first of all, if you haven't seen the play, which I'm sure you have if you're listening to this, go find it where uh, there's two outs and Javi Baez hits a weak ground ball to third with the guy on third base. And the third baseman throws a little against Pittsburgh, by the way. Important, important fact of this story. <laughs> Speaking Pittsburgh of atrocious teams. Speaking yes. of atrocious teams. Um, throws a little bit wide to first base. And the first baseman, instead of just stepping on the bag to end the inning, chases Javi back towards home. And I want to talk about it because um, uh, Javi is a topic of conversation on this podcast a lot because he gets a lot of credit for like his sliding and... and Essentially, his tagging is, is, is tagging, the sliding is the tagging. I hate the tagging even more. Um, <laughs> just, just like doing basic things with some flourish, or often uh, on the sliding thing, making a stupid decision and then, um, you know, getting out of the stupid decision when it's on camera, but sometimes also getting thrown out and they don't pay attention to that. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that they don't show when he just gets, you know, nailed by. 10 steps on a really stupid steal attempt that doesn't make the highlight reel pretty routinely so <laughs> i want to talk, we, we want to talk about this because the cubs people all of cubs people who cover the cubs who are um some are good but there's like bleacher nation who's kind of annoying um we're like saying oh this is more javi magic that he managed to get out of this this I, what, it's not a rundown. What do you even call it? This stupid no, situation that no. Pittsburgh created, <laughs> uh, and and uh, like they scored runs and they ended up on second base on the play. But Javi didn't do anything. Um, the 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 Pirates did. By the way, effectively Wild already did this. But if you already heard it, you're gonna hear it again. Javi <laughs> did literally nothing. So let's just to break this down at a very granular level. He just so stopped. Right. The, the throw was <laughs> off. And the first baseman came off the bag and he kind of haphazardly reached for Javi to tag him and, and Javi ducked 
because that's what you do. It's because it's natural. You don't want to get tagged, so you just duck. And then the guy started just jogging lightly after him. And so Javi just started running slightly faster away from him, which, again, <laughs> again, this guy could have ended the inning. I don't even know who the first baseman is because Pittsburgh is a triple-A team and who gives Will a shit. Craig. But Will Craig. Will, yeah. Will Craig. Um, Will Craig could have stepped on the bag at any point and ended the inning, but instead he's like lackadaisically jogging after Javi, who, again, um, you know, didn't do anything. He didn't like dash away from him. He just, the guy was lazy. And so he just kind of lazily stayed away from him. And then as they started to get towards home, Will Craig's brain exploded. And again, Javi's not doing, <laughs> Javi's not doing anything except, except just stand there and having jogged very slowly away from Will Craig. So the, the runner up from third broke towards home. And at this point, you have to know your baseball at least a little bit. So first of all, he clearly forgot how many outs there were. And if he recalled there were two outs, he could have, again, just tagged Javi or run back to first base and tagged the bag, and the inning was over. Would it, inning would be over. Nobody would have scored. But he obviously forgot there weren't two outs. And I'm pretty sure he also didn't know the rule that if you tag a guy who hasn't reached first base yet, that's a force out, and the run doesn't count. So he saw the guy running, and instead of tagging Javi, he threw to the catcher, who I'm sure was like, the hell are you throwing to me for <laughs> and was not ready for it and you know tagged the guy late and then javi by the way by the way again let's not give javi credit because javi has to get to first base for that run to count right. and at this point in the play javi's not running to first base he is standing there making the safe signal um and at this <laughs> yes, point yes he he's not anybody <laughs> could just tag him, and it wouldn't count, and the inning is over. So Javi so, probably didn't know the rule either. No, he definitely didn't. And then some people started yelling at him, run to first base, you idiot, which he did. And the second baseman ran over as fast as he could to cover for oh, – oh, by the way, Pittsburgh again. Second baseman should have been covering first base already because, again, the inning is over if they just touch first base. So – um, the catcher throws wide of first base um, and it goes into the outfield wherever and Javi ends up on second base. But again, Javi did jack shit. He even screwed up a couple times. So when you hear it was Javi magic or, oh, this only happens with Javi. No, no, that, no, no. It only happens with the Pirates because the Pirates <laughs> are staffed with AAA or AA or in some cases, I would say independent league players. Um <laughs> And that is why this happened, because they're not a proper Major League Baseball team, and they were lazy and stupid and did not act like professionals. Well, so. and yeah, and that's the big thing, the not acting like professionals here. They weren't, their head wasn't in the game, because the no. entire dugout should have been screaming, not only at Will Craig to get back to first base, or just Somebody to stand. Javi has to yeah. go around you. If Javi runs out of the base path, he's automatically out, and then the inning's over, and you don't... Yes. Like literally, all Craig ha has to do is not throw the ball back to to uh, the play, the not throw, throw it back to the, to the catcher. catcher, and he has the ball in between Javi and and so Javi doesn't have a choice. He, if he goes around him, you know, if he leaves the baseline, he's out too. And so the the Pirates dugout should have been screaming at at the second baseman too to get over and cover first base so that Craig could just lob the ball back there as well. And clearly, the Pirates are not like mentally engaged they're not because why would they be they're they're clearly like tanking and losing and not not playing for today at all and so you know that will craig's head wasn't in the game he wasn't thinking doing that thing that you do where like okay it's two outs that means there's a force at first so keep that in mind always especially if you're the first baseman keep in mind always that i can end this thing with any sort of force at at first like no matter what stupid shit happens force at first is in play and that will yeah. end the inning and nothing else matters and he clearly didn't do that in his head because he just doesn't care because the pirates aren't doing anything. And this is, this speaks to the problem of baseball of teams, not trying. Yep. And the pirates, by the way, have the worst run differential in, in baseball at negative 74, which is kind of amazing. Well, it's, I mean, it's what they're going for that. Yes, it's it, a successful, a successful thing. <laughs> this is the plan they'll working. Still, they'll still somehow screw up the draft picks because they're the pirates. So yeah, there you go. They're probably not going to take Kumar Rocker, and everybody's going to nope. like lose their their minds. But they're probably right not to take Kumar or actually uh, lighter either. So both of those guys, they're probably going to pass on him. Well, there you go. Yeah, I I just love any opportunity to to diss on the Cubs, and you know maybe in Will Craig's defense, he was just hypnotized by the magic. 
and that's what happens. <laughs> it's magic. It's hobby magic. It's magic. You can't see, but Ryan's doing the little like magic hands here. So that's <laughs> that's great. who else? Who else could tag out a base runner? The yeah, hobby yeah. Hobby no, Baez. it's an illusion, Michael. All right. <laughs> um, uh, more Patreon questions to get to. Uh, Adam Post asking, "What happens first this season? The Brewers throw a no hitter or get no hit?" And I feel like the odds of this one are astronomically high, just even not considering there's been like half a dozen no hitters already. So, Paul, what do you got? Oh, we should add in as a choice for the three of us um, uh, a third choice, which is neither happens, yeah. because I think it's very likely that at least one of them happens. And I, I'm not even sure where I lean at this point. Their pitching is so good. I feel like it will be surprising if neither Burns nor Peralta nor Woodruff throws a no-hitter, especially given how much, how often they face Pittsburgh. Um, on, the other, <laughs> on the other hand, their offense is occasionally atrocious. Uh, so it's easy to see them getting no-hit. I mean, it's almost happened a bunch of times already. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll go with... I'll actually go with both happen, and I'll, I'll go with them throwing one first. So having to pick one, I will say that the first thing that happens is that, that either Burns or Woodruff, I, I'll even go, I think Peralta will do it because he has those days once in a while. So, But I think one of them throws a no-no this year. Offense is down enough that I think it happens. They're never throwing a no-hitter. I will never see the Brewers throw a no-hitter. I'm just sure resigned to that fact. So Okay. It's just that's just the way it you is. Think he's doing the thing where he says the opposite of what he wants because we jinx everything. I know we right. jinx everything. Well, that's mm-hmm. it. Do you think that they'll get no hit? Are you going to jinx that too? Their offense is better than their starting pitching is. Or so their offense is. I don't less, know how this sentence is going to Sorry. Their <laughs> offense is less bad than their starting pitching is great. We'll put it that way. So I, I think it's more likely that it's they get the no hitter. But I don't, math from I don't think yeah. anything. I don't think it either thing happens. All right. Uh, well, considering we just spent 15 minutes shit talking the Cubs, that means Alec Mills is going to throw another no hitter against the <sighs> the Brewers later this month, probably. Oh god! Uh, and happen. I'll say just because this is the way these things go, if the Brewers do throw a no hitter, it's not going to be Woodruff, Burns, or Peralta. It's going to be like friggin' Brett Anderson or Adrian Hauser or something. Oh, it won't. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> There's been plenty of ridiculous no hitters already. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I would go off the board if we had to pick one too. So, there you go. Uh, but yeah, either way, I, I feel like one of those two is going to happen just based on the sheer amount of times it's almost happened in both regards the first uh, couple of months here. So, we'll see. Okay, uh, next Patreon question comes from Jay Google says. Uh, he's actually got two here. His first one is, is there any concern about Christian Yelich regaining some kind of 2018-2019 form? Don't think he's as great as 2018, but do you think his power numbers will come back? Uh, not looking so hot right now, Paul, for our uh, Christian Yelich will overtake Avi bet. Is no, it? no, it's not. It's not looking good. Um, I, I don't even know what to think on Yelich anymore because the the skill his hitting skills are clearly still there. Um, you know, he, he still squares it up. Uh, he still has a good eye. He takes walks. He makes pretty good contact. Um, you know, he's striking out more than he was in his MVP days. But the power stroke going is concerning. I, I think part of that is the bouncy ball a little bit. But he also is, you know, a guy who's led the league in home runs. And he shouldn't be, like, completely falling off a cliff. So at this point, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Yes, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it. Maybe it's still back injury related. Maybe it's brain related, but I'm not unconcerned. Um, you know, he's he's played more like an old man for a while now, and that's not good. So I would suspect he's probably not going to get back to being a super huge masher um, anytime soon. He, I think he's got to work through some stuff, maybe get the ball back for that to happen. And uh, I expect he'll, he'll pick up a bit. Like you may see Yelich is like a 20 five home run guy instead of a 40 home run guy. Um, and you'll probably have some regression where he pops a few out sometime soon here. But uh, I, I think he may be a while before we see him, you know, up in the leaderboard. Uh, that, that guy might not be around for a bit. Yeah. I mean, it is an extremely weird line. He, uh, right. after today, 254, 
398 on base percentage and a 343 slugging. So he's Which is out, bizarre. He's out what do you on basing by 55 points <laughs> by his slug. That's just really weird. And I think it is. It's probably him concentrating on being a better all-around hitter, getting back to some of the things that made him really good before he got to Milwaukee when the power emerged in the second half and he went to that next level. He lost that last year. Remember, the power didn't actually disappear last year. He was in double digits for homers last year in the shortened season. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like he he wasn't suffering a power outage. What he was suffering was, you know, not making contact and really having trouble with the the other aspects of the game and not getting away, I think, from walking quite as much as he, he did in the past. I don't know. Is he being too passive right now on some stuff and not being willing to look to drive some pitches that are maybe not strikes, but would be hittable for him earlier in counts. I I think that might be part of it. I I think he may be spitting on some pitches he should go after, but I think he's also just trying to establish like, you're going to have to throw me strikes. And maybe other teams are really focused on him and saying, we're not going to let Christian Yelich beat us because the rest of these guys can't hit. So we're just not going to let him do it. So we're going to, we're going to be very careful with him and make sure that he isn't the one doing it to us. At some point, though, if that is the case, that flips, right? Teams start saying, well, let's see if this guy is actually capable of beating us. Let's yep. start throwing him in the zone more and not giving him all these free passes because, man, he is walking 18.1% of his plate appearances right now. He is. That, that is, is nuts. nuts. He also, uh, I, I, I know I point this out too much, but he also does have reverse platoon splits again. And he doesn't have a ton of PAs against lefties, so that's a small sample size there. But he's been mashing lefties like his old, well, his slugging's still kind of down, but he's he's hit lefties hard in his small sample size, and he's struggled against righties. So um, I, I don't know. Keep an eye on that. Still might be pulling the ball problems. But we did see him absolutely tank one pulling it in Cincinnati. His one home run, he hit yeah. that about 440 <laughs> feet. It was a good 3-0 count, by the way, so he just went balls to the wall. Oh, did he one, yeah. did he swing on a 3-0 count? He was, swing on a 3-0 count in the ninth inning. I mean, what are the rules on that? I mean, should we get, call Tony Larusa <laughs> and clarify? Was it okay for him to do that? What, what was the score? What was the game context? Because yeah, should hmm. call him. Get a few drinks and do him first, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I, I don't I don't know if I buy that like his he's not stinging the ball either, you know, because obviously he he's still hitting it really hard. You saw it on that home run. You saw it even in the last couple of weeks, like his base hits are are being stung. But it's obvious it's the launch angle thing again. Right. And I just happened to pull up his stat cast page and he actually has a negative average launch angle for this year yet. Well, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, granted, yeah, he he's sure only does. seen 346 pitches. So, like, his stat cast numbers are, like, barely there because he's missed a month. But yeah. uh, obviously, you, you don't want a negative in front of the launch angle number. Barrels no matter what you yeah. think of launch angle. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was sort of his issue. He grounded out a lot. He he was a mm-hmm. very strange profile. Even when he was winning an MVP in 18 and basically playing like an MVP in 19, he actually did ground out a lot. It was the big thing that he did when he when he would – uh, hit a ball he would on the ground and pull it over on the ground it was just that when he wasn't doing that he was absolutely terrorizing everything else like it was basically right. either he's pulling it putting it on the ground or he's just tanking it right and he's he's not finding the holes in the shift like he might have in 2018 or 2019 too so i mean that that's part of it as well uh jay has a, another question about a struggling bat uh, Keston Hira, uh, <laughs> back on. in the majors, uh, had a really good uh, week or 10 games or so in AAA and came up, had some encouraging at bats with uh, not encouraging results to start. And I think in, ever since that <laughs> few first few games in the last week or so, he, he's kind of looked like he's uh, back to where he was. Right. So Jay is asking, are the Hira struggles more mental issues at this point or a mechanical issue? Paul, I know we've talked about, I think, maybe both extensively here, but do you think it's still kind of going on? Yeah, I do. It, it's both. And nobody sh- should be surprised that his short stint didn't fix him because he's a mess. He's a huge mess, and you can't fix that with a very short stint in AAA. That's why I said I thought they'd leave him down there longer than than he was down there. And Yeah, he hit a little bit down there, but he also struck out a ton, and that's 
the main problem with him is he's he is striking out a ton and he has no confidence in his ability to hit anything even when it's in the zone so nothing nothing's fixed there yet and you know that he has he has personal issues as well his his mother has uh, has a cancer diagnosis and um he has that grading on him too I think he either needs to spend way more time back down in the minors or maybe he just shut this down for a while until he's got himself together a little bit more. But th- this isn't helping anybody. It's not helping him or the team. Yeah, I mean, he's not as quite as bad as what we've seen here. He had just an absolute atrocious luck today. He really hit two balls on the screws today. One of them ended up being a double play. The other was a liner to left field. He's just in one of those uh, funks right now where he's mostly not playing well and not doing what he he needs to do to be successful but even when he does actually make good contact with the ball it's something stupid is happening and it's screwing <laughs> so just nothing is going right for that man right now and I, you do totally feel for him it sucks but i don't know if there's really anything you can do you're not gonna like shut him down and like i don't even know you're not gonna shut him down Maybe you're going to send him to the minors, but I don't know that that's even necessarily going to help, especially at this point with as much time as they still have left in the season. And the fact that they don't have a good option at first base to put in front of him, I think is also a huge factor. It's not like taking away at bats from Big Dan. Sorry, James, but it's not like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, really a huge problem. So I... I don't know. It this is just one of those tough situations. We see this, it happens every once in a while. He's got compounding issues. Mostly you just feel bad for the guy and like don't boo him. Uh, don't boo him. It's just don't. I mean, I it's mean, it's all they should just they should now just be playing anybody at first base because anybody would be better than the first base situation. So I I think they actually should shut him down and get his brain a little bit right. This is not good. And like I it, it, can Jace Peterson play first base? I don't know. I, I don't really care. Put him over there. He's better than Dan Vogelbach is. So um, pick up any random guy. Don't we have anybody down there who's just a big, stupid um, power hitter that can stand over there? And I, I think that question's coming in a few. We, we might. We might. We have another uh-huh. question. Let's just uh, skip down to that. So uh, <laughs> McNam 3 says, when will we see Zach Green? And uh, so if you don't know Zachary, and he's obviously not like one of the more hyped prospects, but he's off to a really good start in AAA this year uh, for Nashville. Uh, So as we got with the uh, so, yeah, basically, I kind of floated the idea kind of jokingly the other week uh, (laughs) just because, you know, just pull any random dude from AAA, as Paul is saying, and maybe he'll do better. Uh, But the Brewers uh, player development Twitter account actually tweeted this morning his ranks amongst triple a east hitters so basically in his own division so i know we're cherry picking here but he's first in the division in home runs he's got nine home runs he's driven in 25 that's also first in the division third in slugging with a 708 slugging percentage seventh in ops second in extra base hits fifth in total bases so obviously he's he's down there and he's he's hitting well for power but then again so did keston hero for a week but (laughs) ryan is this something that the brewers maybe need to consider (laughs) soon ish just to see if it works i mean if they think he's good fine um i'm (laughs) not going to be calling for it because i mean there's probably a really good chance that he's oh i don't know nate orf (laughs) remember free nate orf like free nate orf like oh he's hitting we need to get him up here and then you know nate orf came up and he hit 095 240 238, 478 OPS. That 095 had a walk-off home run in there, so we we love him. (laughs) Nidorf is the smallest major league player I've ever seen in my life. So, Putting Luis Marias? Yes. I mean, there are... You can go go through the history of this. And he is incredibly short. (laughs) Yeah, but the point is is that you can go through and find the guy who hits in AAA for a struggling offense and everybody's screaming for him like he's going to be the savior. And, you know, nine times out of ten, they're not. 
usually it's some guy that comes out of nowhere that people weren't even anticipating and it just completely catches everybody by surprise, like Luke Voigt with the Yankees or Mike Talkman with the Yankees or really any Yankees hitter over the last, I don't know, Jew or Shella, like any Yankees hitter over the last five years. That's not, you know, one of their top prospects. Those guys just all came in and, and did this stuff that generally doesn't happen. So, I mean, fine. If, if calling for Zach green makes people happy, far be it for me to try to take away their happiness, but like, chances are very good there's not anything there okay Maybe. but i mean what, what do you got to lose right. you you're already dealing with not anything there and not anything there part two so uh tr- try another one maybe this one will work this time well we we <laughs> do know that keston Hira is capable of really hitting well against major league pitching we don't know that about zachary right i will say to be fair this AAA dominance is not anything new. In 2019, last year, mm-hmm. season he played, he didn't play last year. 2019, he hit 25 home runs in 72 games for the Giants AAA team, 10.39 OPS as a 25 year old. So, what did he do in the majors? Uh, uh, you know, got a little cup of coffee. Eight games, 16 plate appearances, uh, 143, 250, 214. Hmm. He went two for 14. So the Giants, who were very bad and being run by very smart people. Gave him how much when he how much time when he was absolutely killing the ball in AAA? They gave him uh, sixteen like play appearances. September, might be a September call up there. Yeah, Ryan. but they gave him sixteen plate appearances, right? <laughs> yeah. Far anxiety. The guy who currently has San Francisco, like, like he has the David Stern's devil magic going right now in a way that I can't even, I can't even wrap my head around. I do not know what is going on with the Giants. That is freakish and weird. What is happening there? But Not even even year bullshit. It's it's no, 2021. No, yeah, it's no. 2021. Maybe like it skipped a year because of the pandemic. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's true. It's insane. Like what is happening in San Francisco? I don't know. But again, point being, Farhan didn't bring him up and give him much of an extended run. Farhan's pretty smart. So and that front office is really smart. So, I mean, there's probably a good reason why they didn't. I just would tend to lean towards it being unlikely <laughs> i'm just saying what do you got to lose you know far and also let daniel robertson get away and and look at what he's eh, no that didn't work in my no. favor did it no <laughs> i mean there you go yeah it is what all it right. is. all right well we're still complaining about the offense one more twitter question comes from jack 608 does the hitting coach need to be fired? What does the hitting coach even do? So I'm guessing Jack didn't didn't hear my little rant, like, what was it, two or three weeks ago? But I, I, I'll save it. But, Paul, what would you say a hitting coach even does here? Does this do anything? So fixes, fixes minor mechanical flaws that people experience during the course of the season, picks out places people can improve. But, you know, a hitting coach isn't going to tank hitters nor is he going to build them back up from something that was terrible like that's mostly on the player that's mostly random chance um aging whatever like uh, when you consider what makes a a hitter go from good to bad it's usually injuries age um uh, just uh facing more same side pitching than he did the last couple of years random crap like that the hitting coach is like 10th in line for impact on any given bats in any given lineup. It's very, very small. They're there to figure out what is diagnosable and fixable among people struggling, help them fix it, and then, you know, it also serve the coach purpose of just talking guys up, getting attitudes straight, um, and in helping, you know, be cheerleader more than anything else. That's it. Um, if you want to focus on hitting development throughout the minors, that's a different story. How you teach the game from the ground up, going through the system as an organization and as individuals helping guys build on tools that they're developing, that's completely different. But your hitting coach at the major league level barely matters at all. He's a scapegoat first and foremost and a cheerleader second with some some <laughs> some minor ads on the technical front. That's it. Yeah, and also... I. I think especially in the modern game, they do a lot of advanced scouting and work on getting hitters prepared to face the pitchers they're going to be facing. Yeah, what it doesn't do, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, it's not like firing your defensive coordinator in football. It is not at all like that. Not Not even even in the same universe. Yeah, right. 
they're not calling plays. They're not dictating strategy. We're not if changing the hitting scheme for the team. That's exactly. If you're pissed off that the Brewers strike out too much and don't hit for contact, firing Andy Haynes will not do a damn thing because that's an organizational philosophy. And David Stearns will just hire somebody else who has that same philosophy. Well, and David so, Stearns picks the players. Well, and the right. front office picks those players. So those are the players that they want for good reasons. They're not picking right. them because they like to make you angry. They're picking them because they <laughs> they value what they do and see value in it. Paul ah. might disagree on that point because well, Justin no, Smoke I'll... and Daniel Vogelbach just exist to make that's Paul angry. That's part but... of the throwing spaghetti part of it. Now, I will say there's a time to fire your hitting coach. Like if If nobody ever hits, you should move on from your hitting coach. However, you probably want to do that as an organizational shift to some kind of other hitting approach from the ground up and, and not just as a, uh, but that's not, that's not the reason a hitting coach ever actually gets fired. Hitting coaches get fired because managers are going to get fired and they need to fire somebody else first. So that's mm-hmm. what will happen when Andy Haynes gets fired. Yeah. And the, the one thing I would say that if the players actually stopped believing in him if it if it really right. was to the point That's where the guys too. weren't sure. listening guys were 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 going away from what he was teaching then that's a sign that it's not working and you need somebody who at, at the very least is a more effective communicator and is going to get buy-in from the players that would be a reason but that's really impossible for us to know from the outside we we can't yep. know that unless there's some in-depth reporting done and i don't even know how that would happen in this year when beat reporters aren't even allowed to like have private conversations with players so right we wouldn't even have any chance to find that out right uh if anything we've we've seen the opposite right with like guys like lorenzo kane volunteering the information that like yeah we're we're struggling but it's not andy's fault we're just not hitting so by the way i I think there you go pitching coaches are a different animal i do think that can have a significant impact on how your arms perform even in a given season it's it's you know they're usually more bunched up in the middle, but I think a good hitting coach or a good pitching coach is actually worth something, um, and can make a difference every now and then. But hitting coaches don't, especially when they have sort of an identifiable philosophy and they yep. can sort of pick their guys. And the think Dave Duncan back in the day with his sinker slider right handers like you know Jeff Supan and Braden Looper all came to Milwaukee and then sucked. Yep, like <laughs> guys like that or. Uh, I there are other guys with other philosophies. Uh, Ray Searage with the throwing inside stuff in Pittsburgh, which worked great until it didn't anymore, and then they did not move past that and didn't figure anything out. There have been lots of things. Don Cooper in in Chicago with the White Sox had a very identifiable pitching philosophy. But then there's some guys who remember when Leo Mazzoni must have been a wizard for the Atlanta Braves. Like he, that guy has uh, to have some sort of witchcraft. And then he went to Baltimore and they was absolutely wretched and it like didn't work at all. Yep. I mean, because yeah, he, in Baltimore, he didn't have Greg Maddox, John Smoltz and Tom Glavin and your random assortments of Kent Merkers and Steve Avery's and, you know, <laughs> Danny Nagel and just all of the various guys, Kevin Millwood, all the guys that right. came through that he didn't have them. So he was no longer a wizard. All right, uh, running out of time here for this week, but we did have one more Twitter question that I want to get to because Ryan seems super enthusiastic about this one. Comes from Frank Newins, says his question's a week late, but in light of the Adamas and Shaw trades, David Sturm seems to have a pattern. So who is the next buy low AL East infielder who is blocking a team's top prospect that Sturm's trades relief pitching that is having unsustainable success for? Ryan, who are we trading and who are we getting? Okay, I I have an absolute answer to this, and it isn't even that hard to figure out because the Toronto Blue Jays have just a stockpile of good young infielders that are percolating towards the top of the minor leagues, and they already have a bunch of good young major league infielders. You may have heard of Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. Yeah, vaguely familiar to me. Yeah, yeah, you you may have heard of some of these guys. So. They down in the minors, Jordan Groshans, uh, they have Austin Martin. Uh, there's other guys I'm probably not even thinking of right now. But they have a bunch of guys who are coming up. And what that's going to do is necessitate getting rid of Kevin Biggio, who happens to have a down season going right now, where he's hitting <laughs> 205, 315, 315. And uh, yeah, I, I think that definitely you are going to see Kevin Biggio be uh, traded to the Brewers in 
<laughs> next summer sometime next like summer. kevin yeah. kevin bishio will be a brewer next summer like you can you can mark this down he will be a brewer by the end of 2022 traded for like brad boxberger or something stupid or that's, what's that's the, the name i had on the tip of my tongue <laughs> yeah but boxberger doesn't have a contract that runs that long is the issue uh, like dang. you need somebody that has some control and yeah. has some your tyler thornberg's your drew rasmussen's fire rising still under team control yeah maybe maybe uh josh lindblum figures it out because he did accept his assignment <laughs> to triple a and they flipped yes. josh lindblum for him and uh, then Kevin Bishio becomes, and the thing is, I'm I'm joking here, but like, no, Brent Suter, I don't know. Yeah. Oh no, don't don't get take away my Raptor. <laughs> I won't have you taking away my Raptor to get you. I'm There's just another like Raptor in kid. Toronto. Yeah, I'm just exactly. so mad about how many players' kids were in that discussion just now. Well, they, they, <laughs> so, like they the Blue Jays are. are literally like the ju- yeah, like the 1998 All Star Junior version. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So there's a there's a really weird one. I, I not to get too far afield here, but uh, there's Lords Guriel Jr. Lourdes Guriel Jr. I guess uh, who plays for that team, and it's interesting because he has an older brother. His older brother yeah. Yulieski is Yuli. a yeah a major league but he player. He wasn't the junior, <laughs> but he isn't the junior. So this is like an Andy Bernard situation in the <laughs> office where, <laughs> like, when he was three, they took away his junior name and they gave him a different one, and his younger brother then became like, <laughs> like, is is Yuli like the black sheep of that family? What's going on here that he didn't get the the honorific? Because it almost always always goes to the top oldest son. So I I don't know what's going on there but i i do suspect an andy bernard situation and given what we know about yulieski guriel he is a bit of a uh jerk he's had a checkered yeah. past yeah, yeah there, so there, maybe, there maybe he got de-juniored he got de-juniored he's defrocked yeah. as a junior yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right uh I, I, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good point to end on. So a reminder, you get a uh, question priority when you become a patron, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. We do have one new patron to shout out this week. Is that right, Ryan? We do, um, though. I'm definitely screwing this up. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, Mike Chimernick. You think I get that? I think, I think that's what I would go with. Chimernick? Like, uh, Chimernick? Chamernick, 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 no, that yeah, Chamernick. That's French Canadian. That's a little yeah. No, <laughs> would be, if he was a hockey player, it would be Chamernick. Yeah, Chamernick, Chamernick. <laughs> Either way, sorry for butchering your name, Mike, but thank you for signing up. Uh, hope to see a question from you next week. In the meantime, you can also sign up. Two bucks a month gets you that question priority. Five bucks a month gets you all those extra podcasts as well. In the meantime, do not forget to subscribe while you're at it. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Just hit the subscribe button while you're there. Uh, And uh, please do leave us a review, too, to help other people find the podcast. Uh, In the meantime, we'll be back next week. Stay well, everybody. Hope you enjoy the short week. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.